This is the one that has a reputation for being kind of goofy. So <laughs> keep the change. Rightfully so. It did not hit me as to where that was going to end up. How end could it? How in the world <laughs> could it, Josh? I mean, there's not a lot of subtlety in this film. I don't think that's a controversial statement, but this, I will say, is a moment of genius in this movie. Yeah. yeah. Because it's also it's not just that. It's also it's still it's still a spy movie. It's still an action flick. It becomes uh, smoking the bandit for about 20 minutes of screen time. <laughs> I'm so glad you said that. <laughs> oh, we've got a lot to talk about, my friend. We have a whole lot to talk about. She looks over at me and she goes, this is a weird movie. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And there's going to be a moment where you're going to look at me and go, is this really still happening? Uh-huh. Because this fucking boat chase goes on forever. <laughs> There's no other Bond movie quite like this one. Welcome back, everyone, to For New Eyes Only, the James Bond retrospective podcast where I'm watching the movies for the first time. When Welcome you back. were young and your heart was, was an open, open book. book. Are we, wait, are we singing the McCartney version or the Guns N' Roses version? <laughs> you used to say, live and let live. My favorite part of that song is when he does the, it's when he does the, uh, but in this ever change, you know that note Axel yeah. hits, like when he sounds like Dracula in the in Forgetting Sarah Marshall. <laughs> It's so good. Blood will run down his face with his decapitated. Ah! <laughs> I, I can't. You've already got me way off track. Yeah. Right. What are we doing today, Josh? Today, well, it's the new year and yeah. a new bond. It's Roger Moore era time. We finished the Conneries. If you'd like to listen to our take on the Connery series yeah. and the 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 one, the only, the best on Her Majesty's Secret Service, you can go back. There will be a playlist that I'll link to in the description below if you want to go back and watch those episodes and see what we thought of Connery. Yeah. But now it's 73 and it's Roger Moore time, yeah. everybody. Holy shit, we're here. Doesn't it feel insane that it's only two years between diamonds are forever in this movie doesn't it feel like a lifetime when it started it was like okay this is this is like a bond movie yeah this isn't this isn't okay this doesn't feel like a bond movie at all like it, it this is a fucking movie let's just say that before we started recording <laughs> we just kept starting sentences with this fucking movie and then like not finishing our thought because we're like trying to save it <laughs> so hard for the show and uh, look, uh, judging from the comments on our on our episodes and, and also just being a Bond fan in the world, I know that there are there's trepidation entering the more <laughs> era. Some uh, some people really don't enjoy uh, this take on Bond or this era. And I while I think it has its ups and downs, I am here to tell you guys that I love live and let die <laughs> so i'm just gonna throw out my truth right there up top <laughs> i have to say you know when we started this podcast yeah we, we've 
we've touched on it briefly throughout the time we've been talking about the Connery movies. As mm-hmm. I said at the end of our last episode, um, where we recapped the Connery era, I, I I know Roger Moore as Bond. He's the first person I ever associated with the name James Bond. Because the only um, classic one before we did this show that you'd seen was A View to a Kill, right? Right. A View to a Kill, Christopher Walken, Grace Jones. I, I remember it fondly, but sure, I sure. have not seen it in decades. So once we revisit it, it's uh-huh. going to be a fresh take. So yeah. it, it it's still going to be one of those that we're going to have fun talking about, I'm sure. Yes. Um, but coming into this era, I was yeah. like, man, like I, I'm just so excited. I'm, I'm I'm ready for a change in some things, mm-hmm. which is weird considering we have Guy Hamilton back behind the camera directing right. this one. Uh, we got did, Tom Mankiewicz writing this one again. So, I mean, we've got a lot of people coming back from the Connery era to do yeah. this one. Um, I wanted to talk to you a little bit, too, about because mm-hmm. you know way more about the novels and everything than I sure. do. Yeah. Uh, I, are we still in the era of, of basing them on the novels or are we getting past that? So what's funny about Live and Let Die, the novel, is uh, <laughs> that uh, I've got all my I got all my shit today is it's the second of Fleming's books. And oh, wow. uh, so it's the first it would it picks up pretty shortly after the events of Casino Royale mm-hmm. and Bond is fully in. I don't trust anybody mode. Right. Right. Um, that being said, this is a really loose adaptation in a lot of ways. I wanted to do Live and Let Die because I thought it had more of an edge to it because all the villains were black. And I knew it was a very chancy thing because we were. Uh, making it in the time of the Black Panthers. We were making it in the time of uh, really a black revolution. The the film adaptation <laughs> weirdly adds and subtracts things almost in equal measure um, to right. the point where like there are extra characters, extra identities, some double crosses that are not in the book. Um, the, the book primarily takes place in... Um, shoot in Jamaica and in um, Miami and the Miami is traded out for uh, New Orleans in the movie. I was watching some of the behind the scenes stuff uh-huh. and Guy Hamilton was talking about what else is in New Orleans. Oh, there are jazz funerals. Yeah. And he, he's a huge, huge jazz fan. And so like, that was like, they were like, well, of course that's, that's where we got to go. In about five minutes flat, we conned up that sequence. And then he had to come up with a reason to stay in New Orleans. I knew that Mr. Broccoli and Mr. Saltzman were not going to send a large unit to New Orleans just to shoot four minutes screen time. What else is in New Orleans, Tom? The canals, the levees. Oh, that sounds good. He was like, well, I want to stay down there and just go hang out and listen to jazz and drink all the time. (laughs) So he's like, I got to find something to do. And that's where they added, you know, they added more to it. So the filet of soul and all that stuff. And yeah. And in the book, uh, the villain is Mr. Big. Dr. Kananga does not exist in the book. Wow. That's that's weird considering where this movie goes, because you'd think it would be written that way. That's crazy. uh, The book is very concerned with the drug trade. And uh, but the drug trade is more of a front for a smirch operation uh, that is trafficking 17th century doubloons to finance Soviet spy activity in the United States. Wow. So it's it's still heavily entrenched in the Blofeld of it all um, before Blofeld's even, you know, properly introduced. But it's like we know smirch is behind all of this stuff. So 
uh, go find Mr. Big, this this uh, crime lord who works for the Soviets. Um, and so uh, that that's like the big driving force of the book. Now, the book also is the one that's the hardest to read now because mm-hmm. I've touched on this a little bit before on the show. Ian Fleming uh, <laughs> had some very uh, peculiar and not great views on people that were different from him. And that really comes out in this book where all of the villains pretty much are black people and quite often he writes their dialogue phonetically, which right. comes sums off like a really gross caricature. My name is James is for tombstones, baby. Y'all take this honky out and waste him now. The movie tries to kind of sidestep this by being all things at once, right? I mean, the big the big thing here is this is the black exploitation bond, quote yeah. unquote, right? Mm-hmm. This is like taking cues from Shaft and Foxy Brown and stuff like that, but. The problem is then we get into territory of still pretty all of the villains are black. Right. And and we're doing some weird, some really weird cultural appropriation stuff with not really taking the time to understand how certain religions and practices work right. and just sort of othering it for the sake of a uh, spectacle. Mm-hmm. That being said, I think this movie is greater than the sum of its parts somehow like this whole thing kind of congeals into a very weird trip that i really enjoy because it's also it's not just that it's also it's still it's still a spy movie it's still an action flick it becomes uh smoking the bandit for about 20 minutes of screen time (laughs) i'm so glad you said that (laughs) oh we've got a lot to talk about my friend we have a whole lot to talk about this is just a weird movie and holding it all together is uh the 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 man the myth the legend himself mr roger moore oh goodness there he is there he is right Uh, here on my on my live and let die laser disc yeah i uh i'll see your laser disc and i'll raise you the vinyl soundtrack Ah, okay (laughs) i really enjoy this movie this was a favorite and if i'm being totally honest uh for the longest time when i was a kid Roger Moore was my James Bond. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt like his were the ones that played on TV the most often. Maybe. Oh, yeah. Um, and they're certainly the silliest ones. So I think I really glommed on to that as a kid because I'm like, I can't really follow the I'm not really interested in the plot of From Rush With Love at, you know, eight years old. Right. But I'll watch Roger Moore run around in the jungle with Christopher Lee as as long as you want me to. <laughs> well, this is one like this is the first Roger Moore. I know Roger Moore from his last Bond movie. So mm-hmm. I'm starting to I'm starting to see a few things that I do remember from A View to a Kill uh-huh. begin here. Uh, mm-hmm. We'll talk about them when we get into the movie a little bit, but certain tropes and certain ways they set up uh, events to happen throughout mm-hmm. the movie. It seems like that's just going to be kind of a cut and paste formula as we go forward. There are. Yeah, there are certainly things that there are certainly diminishing returns for a lot of things he does. Uh-huh. And and for better or worse, I mean, he is the he's the classy bond, right? right. Like he's like the gentleman bond. Uh, hence why I have a bottle of wine and a cheap uh, charcuterie board over here. I'm doing it up tonight. I'm celebrating our fancy man. Um, oh, I, I had to do my uh, my specially pressed coffee just in honor of oh, uh, sure, snazzy sure. little uh, coffee maker he's got there. Is that all it does? So I, I don't. Yeah, exactly. I don't know if you noticed this, but like his bond specifically, they were like, we 
we made the mistake with uh with Lazenby of trying to do trying to hew too close to uh to to Connery, right? Guy said, I think we should avoid any direct comparisons by you not saying the things that Sean said. A martini, shaken, not stirred. Bourbon, no ice, please. He smokes cigars instead of cigarettes. Yep. He typically wears tan suits instead of black or gray or white. Um, there's a there's a blue suit that we're going to talk about. In holy this, shit, in this that movie. suit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then there's one there's one other thing. I mean, there's a couple. Oh, the other thing was he wasn't allowed to, like, raise his eyebrow because, like, he was famous for doing that on The Saint. That was like his big thing on that TV show. The first issue was that they were making sure that he never raised his eyebrow as he had done in The Saint because that was like a famous mannerism of his. I mean, we've all done the Bond pictures. We all know each other and for a newcomer to come in. Uh, it's a very daunting experience. Guy Hamilton, I think, was more worried about me taking over uh, Bond uh, than I was. And Roger took it very well indeed. My name's Bond. James Bond. He had been like a near miss to play this character for so long. Right, I, I believe originally for Dr. No, I believe they wanted to try and cast him. He originally planned to use Roger Moore when we made Dr. No, but he wasn't available. He was working on television. Yeah, he was mentioned for that. I think he came back up in the conversation uh, around Honor Majesty's Secret Service. We, we talked briefly about how he did. He was part of the conversation mm -hmm. along with Adam West. That's um, right. Which, again, I, I said in our last episode that I'm starting to see a lot of similarities between Adam West and Roger Moore. Uh -huh. And with this movie, it doesn't help. I'll just say no. that because there's a few scenes in this movie that I felt like I could have been watching Batman 66. Totally. Precisely. 100%. Yeah. And and it is that's an odd thing, right? That like United Artists, the, that half of the production company, really keep pushing for an American to play James Bond. You know, this is a very American James Bond movie. I mm -hmm. know they go to a few different places, but I mean, New York, New Primarily, Orleans. Primarily, yeah, we're in yeah. Harlem and in and, and New Orleans, um, which you were telling me uh, before the recording about a couple of people that were up for the part. Yeah, uh, I was, <laughs> there's two that I didn't know about and mm -hmm. one that I did. Steve McQueen, I knew they had approached him uh -huh. about that. Uh, and then there was Paul Newman. Both, I mean... Steve McQueen is Bond. I think Mike could work, but we, we don't we don't live in a world where that's going to be a possibility anymore. But the other one that I was very happy to find out about uh -huh. was Burt Reynolds. <laughs> and the favorite was for a while, Burt Reynolds. I'd seen a, a TV show and I thought the the guy was terrific, had all the all the right elements for Bond. Cubby had a thing about Bond being over six feet. He wanted Bond to be tall. And the second and most important thing was, he said, you can't do Bond and not have him be British. It's absolutely ridiculous. It would be like casting an Englishman in a John Wayne part in a Western. It doesn't work. Because, Wild. Because yeah. this movie turns into Smokey and the Bandit at uh -huh. the end, I just think that would have been the wildest ride if we would have seen Burt Reynolds as Bond. It would be, I mean, it would go down in history as, I mean, everyone would just say that's the one with Burt Reynolds, right? Like, right. It, like, cause there's no way they'd have him do it twice. Well, I can see he's gonna be a major asset. And other names that came up were, were Julian Glover, who folks might know as the, you know, Walter Donovan from Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. He would eventually 
uh, go on to play uh, a villain in a later James Bond movie. Uh-huh. Um, uh, also, John Gavin came back up again. Jeremy Brett, Anthony Hopkins was mad about playing the role, and he was just wow. like, I don't think that that makes any sense. <laughs> <laughs> I also found out that this was technically not the first time Moore played Bond. Really? He played Bond as a comedy bit on like a television show. No and I believe, And I believe 64. Roger Moore played James Bond from 1973 through 1985 in the official James Bond film series. As it turned out, he also played James Bond once before. In the summer of 1964, on a short-lived TV series called Mainly Millicent. But it's, it's hilarious. Wow. It's, it's like Bond going on vacation. Uh-huh. And even when he's on vacation, he can't seem to like get away. And all the villains he's seeing are on uh-huh. vacation as well. It's a really funny bit. Oh, that sounds, that sounds great. Oh, oh. Yes, and I'm 007, as if you didn't know. James Bond, what are you doing at my hotel? What may I ask? Is Sonia Slagova, Russia's master spy, doing staying at my hotel? Oh, please. Oh, please. Let's uh, behave like normal people on a holiday. Wait up. Yes, sir. But I know you. Me, sir? Wait up. Bring me another waiter. But I was like, oh, wow, he actually did play Bond before this. Have you ever seen that sketch where Steve Martin plays James Bond? And he's like, it's from Saturday Night Live. And he he's not allowed to, he finds out he's not allowed to expense this latest mission. So he keeps like ordering stuff and they're just being like, like when he gets the bill, it's so (laughs) fucking funny. He like asks the waiter, he's like, do you have any complimentary nuts? (laughs) (laughs) I would, I would absolutely 100% watch a Steve Martin Bond movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yes, yes, yes. Fabio, <laughs> sir. Shake it. We also almost had Diana Ross in the role of Solitaire. Yeah, I thought that was pretty cool as well. Mm-hmm. Um, which I, you know, might have gone a long way towards giving a- another black character some agency in this movie. But. Right. You know, I, you know, unfortunately, like the, the after they cast Jane Seymour, they cast uh, Gloria Hendry as Rosie Carver mm-hmm. as sort of like, uh, OK, well, we're making up for that by casting this part. But like it. We'll get to Rosie when we get to Rosie. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, Nathan, before yes. we start talking about this movie, of course, why don't you tell us what the plot is in seven seconds or less? I will do my very best. Three, two, one, go. After several agents turn up dead, Bond investigates drug lord Mr. Big and runs afoul of a voodoo conspiracy. 6.46 seconds. Coming in under the wire. Still got it, baby. We might as well just get into talking about the movie. I mean, uh, but this feels like a Bond opening. Yeah. And you've got the sleepy UN meeting. Everybody kind of like saying their piece. And a, a death right off the top. I mean, death by audio. Death by audio that is deployed like it's a dynamite plunger. Right. Like it's it's a really funny little uh, device, um, but really good. Like we get that shot of Kananga and Solitaire just sort of calmly watching while the one guy like just pitches over into his seat. Um, it took and, it. It took me the second watch to uh, notice that Kananga and Solitaire were there. Actually, yeah, it's I good. missed that the first time. 
Um, well, because the first time you're watching, you're just, you don't have any reason to be like, oh, who are these folks? Right. And oh, oh, and the, the jazz funeral, the which jazz I, funeral. Uh, yes, that was that was unexpected. That's um, the scene that always hooks me every time I watch oh. it. I'm like, damn, that's good. And yes, I mean, by the by the time you figure out what's going on there, I was yeah. like, whoa. All right. This is kind of cool. I like where we're going with this. Whose uh, funeral is it? Yours. And, then, <laughs> and, and everyone just sort of like breaking out and getting so happy, like it, it becomes joyous. The, the, the trick coffin when they walk up with the coffin. Oh, isn't and just, that great? Oh, I love that. I loved yeah. it. But yeah, the, it, then there's the voodoo ritual. And I was like, yeah. oh, you know, I, I kind of knew this movie was going to go into this territory. Sure. But I didn't expect where it goes immediately. Immediately in the movie. with uh, the fakest snake I've ever seen in my life, which kills a guy. Well, and it, it at this point, you're like, oh, I've watched three different short films yeah. before. And where the hell is James Bond? Right. right. Because we end this scene by, you know, we, we've got another death with the snake, which let me just um, I'll, I'll go ahead and say the note that I wrote right here. Fuck uh -huh. snakes. I hate snakes. Snakes yeah, suck. Dude. I don't want anything to do with snakes. I hate snakes in movies. Mm -hmm. I hate mm -hmm. snakes in real life. Yeah. And every time I see snakes, I'm just like, fuck this movie. <laughs> You're a real Indiana Jones type. Snakes. Why did it have to be snakes? Oh, I'm so glad you brought up Indiana Jones because uh -huh. I've got some Indiana Jones notes as we go through this. Do movie you? Also. Okay. Yes. Okay. That's exciting. I mean, yeah, there's a, you can draw a, a, probably a pretty straight line from this movie to Temple of Doom in a lot of ways. Temple of um, Doom. I mean, I think we've, we've got a little bit of Last Crusade in here as well. I'll sure. get to that here shortly. I mean, the, the, the Indiana Jones movies were Spielberg doing Bond in a way especially the third one. He casts James fucking Bond in it. Yeah, I mean, Indiana Jones is just rugged 007, man. I mean, <laughs> sure. that's all it really is. You know, he's he's dealing with uh, with history and we're dealing with politics in a sense. Right, so. sure. Go into this lady superimposed over a match. Turns into a fucking skull on fire and we're into this badass opening <laughs> title sequence. I mean, we got the devil. We got the devil That's and the right. tarot cards. The tarot cards are a big part of this movie. Great opening and, and great. Yo, go ahead. This song, Live and Let Die. We, we kind of touched on this at the end yeah. of the last episode with McCartney, my man. Yeah. And like, dude. Is it is this your favorite theme yet? It's my it's not only my favorite theme. This uh -huh. is my favorite opening so far. Yeah. It's really it, good. It's just the skulls definitely just give uh -huh. it the edge for me, but the fire, the skulls, all the voodoo shit. It's just it's a great time watching so it along I, along along, yes. along with the song. It just it works so well. I love the the entire soundtrack for this movie. Uh John Barry was uh, busy working on something else and so they brought in George Martin. Yes. The the Beatles producer to to compose this entire score. He brought along McCartney and Wings. Harry Saltzman was super excited to work with McCartney because he did he like passed on uh distributing a hard day's night years Ooh. ago. And so he was like, I made a fucking mistake. The next time I get to work with a Beatle, I'm gonna do it. Yeah. And so he's like, okay. But the story is that when he handed when George Martin handed the song, the completed song to uh uh, Cubby Broccoli and Harry Saltzman, their response was essentially, that's one hell of a demo. Now, who's going to do it in the movie? Like, they, <laughs> they'd already hired like this this jazz singer. Um, oh, what's her name? BJ, uh, BJ Arnaud, who plays the cabaret singer later in the movie. Yeah, and she she has the performance of it later in the movie. Yeah, yeah. they wanted that to be the theme song of the movie. And George right. Martin was essentially like, no, guys, you hired 
a beetle. Yeah. Like he's doing the theme song for the movie. I think that should um, just be a, a thing that like a, in life, if you ever have the chance to do anything with a beetle, you mm-hmm. do it. I mean, there's no, yeah. there's no, there's no, you know, no, well, this, no yes or no about it. You, yes, this leads me yes. to this, the petition I've made for Ringo Starr to do the theme song to the next Bond movie. <laughs> <laughs> He's just a cover of Skyfall. <laughs> Let the sky fall. Um, yeah, great song. Great opening sequence. The song was nominated for an Oscar. I mean, unfortunately lost, unfortunately lost, but lost to the way we were by Barbara Streisand, which is a great song. Yes, it is. But it always makes me think of that scene in the Naked Gun two and a half where like Priscilla Presley is singing it in the shower <laughs> and the, the the assassin starts singing along. <laughs> of the smile we left behind. It's been a while since I've seen the Naked Gun movies. Uh, Quite so a while. Good. The first one especially is so good. Lieutenant, the feeling is mutual. Nice to meet you, too. And yeah, we finally join James Bond, who has bedded an Italian agent. And let me say, the spectacle that they kind of led on to with Lazenby's casting as Bond. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, a new Bond, new this, new that, blah, blah, blah. This is such so a So casual? Yeah, like here's your bond like it's 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 they don't even do the lead up like they're not shooting him from behind they're not like obscuring his face like no it's just it's just roger moore shirtless in bed hey guys you knew he was gonna play him eventually here he is (laughs) it's it's almost like they 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 felt like they had learned a lesson from on her majesty's and they were like we're not gonna go big with this again i don't expect them to cheer uh and laugh when he first appears he's got to earn their respect and I think he'll do this very quickly. In a sense, the filmmakers were trying to make it that way. It was like, okay, uh-huh. earn, your, earn your keep. Be, our, be the new Bond. So this brings me to another book that I have here in my collection. <laughs> uh, Roger Moore's James Bond Diaries, um, <laughs> which, was, which was published back in 73 and remained out of print for over 40 years. Wow. Um, and it was re- republished in 2018 uh, uh when more passed away um and my i was searching for this for years could never find it my parents on a trip to scotland wow. sent me a photo of a just a shelf of james bond books uh-huh. and i said go back one of them says roger moore live and let die not ian fleming and uh-huh. it, sure enough it was this fucking book that is like wow impossible to find so i was like losing my mind in this book he it's it's literally his day-to-day making the movie and Uh it is a blast and a half if you have a chance to now it's easier to get i think the hardcover is like 12 bucks on amazon Mm -hmm. um but he talks about the pressure going into the movie yeah uh how he felt like the new kid almost the whole time he was making the movie he called uh guy hamilton general hamilton because he was like (laughs) the guy is like a fucking He's given marching orders on set. He he knows exactly what he wants at all times. And he said he had all of these interviews where he would like they kept asking him the same question. Everyone wanted to know, how was your bond different from uh, Sean Connery? Uh-huh. And he he was getting progressively more and more angry. But here's here's a quote from the novel or from the from the diaries. I'm trying to think of new, bright answers to the same questions how is your bond going to be different from Sean's bond is the inevitable question to which I inevitably reply. Well, he is he, and I am me. 
<laughs> and then my my other favorite one is he then he talks to another person and he says they're like how is your bond going to be different from sean connery's bond i'm absolutely fed up with being asked that and i have at last thought of an answer i will ask writers how their column is going to be different from everybody else's column <laughs> Um, he also tells a story about his son, Jeffrey, not accepting that he's playing James Bond. And then he says, he said, uh, just before we left England, he asked me, can you beat anybody, including a robber? Oh, yes, I replied confidently. Supposing James Bond came in, he persisted. Daddy's going to play James Bond, I explained. I know that, he sighed impatiently. I mean, the real James Bond, Sean Connery. <laughs> like the whole book is full of like little anecdotes like that. And just kind of the day-to-day filming stuff. He this these this guy went through hell to make this movie. He had kidney stones, his kids were getting sick. He was dealing with like it's also about him like dealing with the like culture shock because he's shooting primarily in America. Yeah. And he's just like, I don't he's like, what the fuck is trick-or-treating? Why are they why do they do that here? <laughs> <laughs> there's a on the on the Blu-ray for this, yeah. there's like a lost interview with Moore and Guy, uh, uh, Guy yeah. Hamilton. To my horror, I realized that I would have to get myself in a much better condition than I normally keep myself. He talks about how they had made him get in shape. He had to lose some weight. He was like spending hours in the pool before going into the to work and then hours afterwards. Like he was always swimming, trying to lose the weight and whatnot. So he has a he has a line in the book where he's like, I wanted ice cream today, which is unfortunately not part of James's diet. <laughs> It's crazy, man, how how we're so obsessed as a culture on, like, how someone's going to portray a character like that that we love, you know? Right. I would also, total side note, track down this book for weird little... There's one tangent where, in just a single paragraph, he, as an aside, mentions the district attorney of New Orleans invited him back to his office, where he revealed that he'd been doing his own research into the Kennedy assassination showed them footage from the day of the assassination. And Roger Moore says, uh, I am not at liberty to disclose what I saw, but it left no doubt in my mind that it was not Lee Harvey Oswald who fired the fatal shot. Honey, uh, you want to know who really killed JFK? And we Just, talked about The Rock last week. Right. <laughs> involving. Isn't that insane? And he's just like, what if he's like, I can't tell you this, but Sean Connery was there that day. Like, <laughs> but it is fully insane that that's just like a blurb in this book. Please go read it. But you're right. Like, yeah, we're not going to make this a big deal. We're just going to this is Bond now fucking deal with it. Yeah. And then, and, it, and it and it sort of changes the way it, it changes its formula right here, uh-huh. because instead of Bond coming into my six, oh, tossing yeah. uh-huh. the hat, seeing money, penny, we've got him coming to his house in the middle of the night, like five thirty in the morning or something like that. Now, this right here is where I got my first hint of Indiana Jones. This feels sure. like the yeah. scene where he asked him to go look for. They want you to get a hold of the ark before the Nazis do, and they're prepared to pay handsomely for it. And no, I, absolutely, and I, um, I love this sequence. I I do, uh, miss Q terribly, but I dude, um, I was so fucking bummed. I was like, okay, yeah. I mean, we they, they mention Q here, but we get through the whole movie, and by the end of it, I was like. Oh, we're not going to see Q, are we? Where the fuck is Q? I was yeah. so sad to see, to not to not see Q in this. It was apparently a weird scheduling conflict, and there was weird schedule stuff throughout this whole movie. So, like, he was shooting a, a, a TV series, 
he actually managed to get three weeks off so that he could come film. And then they were like, oh, we've already rewritten the scene. It's fine. You don't have to show up. Mm. So he was really pissed off about that. Lois Maxwell, who tried to get more money for Diamonds Are Forever, right. just came back for the same rate in this one. And they kept moving her days around so much that they ended up paying her more in overtime than they would have paid her if yeah. she had actually gotten the rate she asked for. Or should I say... Ciao, Bello. Um, according to Roger Moore, she bought a fur coat with the extra cash. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but this is where we establish this new dynamic between M and Money Penny and, and Bond here. Sure. Uh, <laughs> seems like M hates, uh, hates this Bond a whole lot more so than he hated much. Connery's. In future, Commander, allow me to suggest a perfectly adequate watchmaker just down the street. He threatens to shoot him. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Powerful enough to even deflect the path of a bullet. I feel very tempted to test that theory right now. I'm a um, big fan of when Bond uses his uh, his espresso machine and, and M just goes, is that all it does? Yeah. <laughs> M does not seem impressed by anything no. in this in this place. But Moneypenny's ride or die. Yeah. I, I find it weird that Moneypenny's here, honestly. Yeah. Uh, just, just to do some secretarial stuff too, like, oh, here's your tickets, here's your flight information, right. and, and that's what makes it weird that this isn't happening in my in my six. Like, this is exactly what they would do there. I'm at the point now with Money Penny and Bond where I'm like, what is this relationship? Right. Because you know she's covering for him, but we know she she's got a thing for him. Yeah. It's just at this point, I'm feeling like. Guys, you, you gotta you gotta do something about it or just let it go. Or just like let it, it go. Yeah. Yeah. So this is the weirdest one too, because it's she does she covers for him with the Italian agent. Uh-huh. Uh makes Ooh. a little joke about it. And she wants I mean she wants to go again. She's she does. she's uh, she was happy with Bond's work last night. Sheer magnetism, darling. <laughs> I think that moment when he unzips her dress with his magnetic watch. Yes is the moment you can tell if you're going to have fun with this one or not. Right. Right? Like, yep. I think I think you're either on board or not. Nah. I do love also that we smash cut from Bond unzipping her dress to Solitaire uh, reading tarot and saying, a man comes. And I'm like, yeah, he does. <laughs> Primarily, that's what he does. The fool. The fool comes. <laughs> he, he, he will. He travels with others. Um. <laughs> Uh, I don't know if you noticed this. The deck has a, like a very stylized 007 pattern on the back of the cards. I did not notice that. Yeah. They had originally uh, tried to get Salvador Dali to design a tarot <laughs> deck for them. And then when he told them his rate, they were like, oh, never mind. <laughs> Aim for the stars. You see, <laughs> right. see what you get. Um, now, you, you bring up Solitaire. So we'll go ahead and talk about Jane Seymour a little bit. Yeah. Her um, first movie. Her first movie. She's like 22 in this, I think. I think I, I sent you a text when I was watching this the first time because uh -huh. it was halfway through the fucking movie before I realized that that was Jane Seymour. Oh, you, yeah? Yes. I saw her name in the title, so yeah. I was kind of expecting to see her, but I don't know what it was about the way they were presenting Solitaire in the yeah. first half of this movie. You're just like, where's the medicine woman? Right. <laughs> I was like, Call me. <laughs> yeah I, I she well yeah she's very glammed up in this movie i mean she's 
we, we talked a little bit about appropriation at the beginning of this movie, but she's in a lot of headdresses, a lot of a lot of robes, a lot of a lot of um, her eyeliner for the, an eyeshadow for the first half of this movie was delivered by God herself. I mean, like the way it is, <laughs> the way it is like winged perfectly. She is a vision in this film. I think she's so great for the first half of the movie. And then it, it she we lose her to the, the bond trope of now she has to be rescued constantly. Yep. I like solitaire a lot. Yeah. Um, but I don't know if I really like the relationship between her and bond in this. Movie. I agree. There's some, there's some iffy icky stuff. Yeah. Um, it starts in an icky place and then it seems like they flirt with the idea of this being like legit. Right. But then we don't ever really get a moment between them where they have a conversation about it. It's just right. now she is, she wants, she's just can't stay, keep her hands off of him. Right. Like that's right. like the, the, the extent of it by the end of the movie, it's a little bit of a bummer um, yeah. because I, I, I think he has better chemistry with almost everyone else in this film. Yeah. Um, but we do, uh, I don't know, the, the, like you're saying, it's very low key for a lot of this movie. We get the most downplayed airport arrival in a Bond movie yet, right? Right. Um, gets in his car. We are quickly introduced to David Hedison as Felix Leiter, our, our latest and greatest Felix, perhaps. Another Felix Leiter. <laughs> he is maybe behind Jack Lord, my favorite so far that we've had. I, I don't know what it is about this guy's line delivery. <laughs> it's the fact maybe it's the fact that he sounds like an old school car salesman but like i just i really fucking like david edison <laughs> he's the felix that i think most plays the annoyance with bond's shenanigans you what so we get this great sequence where whisper shoots bond's driver with a dart from his window another gadget <laughs> a really good and a really good gadget bond yeah. trying to rest control the car really great stunt of it hitting the stairs and bond kind of downplays the whole thing but then we cut to felix going give me a make on a white pimp mobile <laughs> oh yeah that that was one of the ones where jenny went wow when we were watching this and now i'm just realizing what if david lynch was uh looks <laughs> like i got a girl has been murdered 17 years old listen here coop mr big runs these streets <laughs> Oh God, I, that would be great. I want I, like a David Lynch Bond movie. Uh -huh. I'll play my hand on this right now. This uh -huh. is my favorite like action sequence of the movie. Oh, when, the 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 car chase with or the when when his driver dies and he's right. trying to like get the car back. Yeah, like I mean, when it happens, uh, we my Jenny and I watched it last night. Uh -huh. and when when that happens, I literally was just like, this would oh. be scary as shit yeah. if this happened. Like, how would you get control of the vehicle? Nobody knows what's going on around yeah. you. Guy Hamilton's so good with vehicular stuff. I mean, we get we get those great chases in Goldfinger, right? Um, we get the the exceptional Las Vegas chase in Diamonds Are Forever, <laughs> and uh, which I I think is really fun despite the weird editing shit and right. and, and continuity errors. But like, the, yeah, this movie is packed to the gills with some of the best chase sequences in a Bond film. It it's it's it might have one too many. I'll go ahead and say that. Oh sure, um, yeah. No, I remember when we get to the airport. I was like, we just had one two minutes ago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. 
but we we are introduced properly to Dr. Kananga, the the dictator of San Monique, who mm-hmm. knows he's being bugged, plays a fake recording like he's pulling Bond shit. And that's really fun. Portrayed by oh, Yafet Kodo, the incomparable Yafet Kodo. Oh, uh, my this, God, dude. I so love good. this guy. I love he's, him. He's exceptional. Um, he did not enjoy making this movie. Uh, he was like a real he was really bummed out by the final product. And there was some drama on the set because during a publicity shoot, uh, when a ton of the press was there, uh, this is actually covered in in Roger Moore's diary. He put up a black power symbol like for the cameras uh-huh. and the producers were furious about that. They're mm. like, we're shooting in the fucking south, like the U.S. South in the 70s. Like, we're, like what are we going to do? Right. Uh, and. As a result, they like excluded him from further publicity. He wasn't at the film's premiere. Like it's it's pretty shitty, like how he was treated after this movie wrapped. Yeah. Um, that being said, he's so damn good in this movie. Yeah. And there's some weird stuff with the with who the villain is in this movie. Uh-huh. Um <laughs> and and we'll get into that here shortly. But for what ends up happening and how his character turns in the end. Uh-huh. I think he's great. He's great. He might not be the strongest villain that we've seen so far. Right. But I do, once we, it's it, it, It's funny that Guy Hamilton's directing this one when he directed Goldfinger. He has right. one of those turns with his plan that I wasn't expecting. And I was like, wow, yeah. that's kind of. Ingenious. It is. It's socially aware plan yeah. as well. Like mm-hmm. there, there is a, a true evil to this plan uh, oh. that like I think none of our other villains have even come close to yet. But I, I, I agree. He's not given enough a, a time to shine, really. And the fact that right. they create this second identity for him doesn't really pl- pay off that well. And that, that is a weird thing that they changed from the novel, essentially because while location scouting, they found this alligator farm. Uh, owned by a man named Ross Kananga. Ross Kananga was the name of the man in real life who owned this crocodile farm. And so Tom Mankiewicz was like, well, that's got to be the name of our villain. And <laughs> But I want to keep Mr. Big. And so he just creates this alter ego. And, and it's it's a weird, it's such a strange choice. Mr. Big in the movie um, is sort of close to how he's presented in the book but given way more of like a kind of a Dolomite-esque personality. Um, Like in the book, he's uh, like they, you know, he's kind of like gray in the face in the movie. In the Uh book, they explain that he has like this weird blood condition where his blood runs slowly, like it circulates too slowly. And so he's like, he looks zombified. Yeah. And so... In the book, he has convinced all of these people that work for him that he is the human manifestation of Baron Samity, the Lord of the Dead, uh, the the Voodoo King. This makes a little more sense, yeah. like because so in, in the movie, in the movie is made yet another character, right? Like that's what I was gonna say is in regard to this is like you've got this Mister Big character who's this yeah. looming mystery, uh, who ends up being Kananga. Spoiler, yeah. and then right. but you've also got to throw in Baron Samandy. You got and then you've also got some good henchmen in this movie. Great you've got henchmen, Teehee and Whisper. Like yeah, you've got a lot of good bad guys here. Unfortunately, right. all portrayed by black men. Like we and I, I think we should clarify that when we say unfortunately, we just mean that like it's a bummer that. Almost every 
every black person Bond meets in this movie betrays him in some way or is like is set up to be a villain. It's unfortunately a holdover from the book where it really leans into some stereotypes and and uh, superstitions in a really unfortunate way. Uh And then in the movie, they're like they remove a lot of that context. But still, we have the storyline where literally we have this this white cop going into Harlem and busting everybody up. And it's uh, sort of creates this atmosphere where it's like, why aren't like there's nobody you can trust here? That's it's kind of a bummer. They play that whenever they start getting into Bond following the car around and then everybody is connected to this whole network. And I love this shit, though. Like I like everybody's got like even the shoeshine guy has like a yeah. microphone in his toolbox and then i mean um, with the icing on the cake being that the cab driver that the the cab bond was just in is in on it as well you know wild yeah i, I, I kind of like that aspect that everybody is kind of part of this whole crime syndicate yeah. here yeah it's just a it's a it's 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 taken as a whole the movie just kind of indulges in some uncomfortable stereotypes right yes big time um but on the other hand everyone in this movie is delivering 150% on their performance. Like the, these are from, I think the best henchmen we've gotten. So I love Teehee and whisper. I yes. love Baron Samity. I just don't think it's, I don't think it's entirely clear in the movie that Baron Samity is at all connected to Kananga's operation until they're in a room together. Right. Right. That's where you're, I was starting to get a little confused as to what was going mm-hmm. on. So it was like, I, I understand now that you're saying in the novel, it was that way where kind of Baron Samity was this alternate ego or that, just even like a superstition that he took advantage of. I mean, right. there's there's some really it's the one of Fleming's novels that I'm just like, don't read it. As much as I think there are sections of that book that are unbelievably good. Uh-huh. It is it's it's really rough. It's a rough sit. Check out the graphic novel adaptation from Dynamite <laughs> Comics, which which somehow manages to use original text from the novel and cuts out the stuff that's like real tough. I love how Roger Moore's Bond is just unflappable. And the question that I wanted to ask you is, is he too chill for you? That is something that I was getting weird vibes on Uh because it seems like in every scenario he's in, he's just kind of looking blankly. Okay. Well, yeah. yeah, Like he's always seems like he's the smartest guy in the room. Yeah. Rather a sweeping statement considering we've never met. Connery brought some of that swagger as Uh well, but there were moments where you could see Connery playing it like he was unsure of where he was going to go with things. Right. Yeah, um, and 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 this is a weird one because he never does anything quite as like blatant as the lepidoptery uh, monologue <laughs> for, uh, from from Honor Majesties, but like this is a Bond who just is never scared, right? Like, right. He gets this. He walks into the Flay of Soul. Everyone stares at him. Waiter, in one of my favorite bits of business, the waiter takes his money and his drink when the, <laughs> when the table the booth turns around. All the sound cuts out. And he just kind of gets to his feet and he goes like, well, okay, my name's Bond. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That another Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade reference right yes, there. With- sure, sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was that was the weird thing watching this time around is just he seems like he's a little lost in all of this. Uh-huh. I mean, and- he Mr. Big shows up. He starts to tell him what his name is. And he goes, names for tombstones, baby, which is yeah. like a fucking great line. And, and this he, is the first time we see Mr. Big, and it's properly, weird because, yeah. you know, 
it's obvious there's something on his face. Yeah. Can you tell it's Yafet Koto? Because I know a lot of folks watching this for the first time are just like, I don't know if that's the same actor. I didn't think it was him in that scene. Okay. Yeah. But later when we see him in the makeup, I was like, B- that, before that's... he rips it. Well, yeah, they, like... they do a really good job of framing him kind of off center in a lot of shots. Right. Yeah. And like, uh-huh. or, or like further back, it's not really until the big reveal that he's like front and center. Um, but yeah, you're, you're right. Like he does seem kind of lost in this scene. Cause like Mr. Big tells them take bond, take him out back and waste him. And bond goes, waste him. Is that a <laughs> yeah. good thing? <laughs> yeah. Like he even questions the scenario is in, there is a, a fun thing that happens here with Teehee where he shows him the hook hand and everything breaks his gun, breaks his gun. Mm-hmm. And on my second watch, I was like, wait a minute. Is that like a, to signify that the PPK is gone. And now we've mm. got Roger Moore. Who's going to mm. carry a fucking Smith and Wesson, like dirty Harry in the end of this bitch. Um, <laughs> I but, wish, but I mean, he does go back to the PPK later mm-hmm. in the movie. So I was like, but that could have been a cool thing where, cause the way he kind of sure. just drops it in the trash can, yeah. it seems like it's sort of like a comedy bit, you know? Yeah. And it, it seems like it could I, have been a commentary as where we're moving on from this bond. And this is I my bond like with that. a Smith and yeah. Wesson, you know? Yeah. <laughs> That's a good, oh man, I kind of wish they'd done that actually. That's fun. <laughs> um, no, instead he has a little mute, meet cute with uh, with Solitaire where, you know, he shows her the lover's card and the she shows him the fool. Card. You have found yourself. Um, so the guys yank him out back and he goes, now promise you'll stay right there. Shan't be long. And <laughs> I like this little fight in the alleyway. Wait, that... He's like jumping up onto the, uh, onto the ladder and kicking him in the face and this is another part where I kind of feel like it's an episode of Batman. It seems like I'm watching Batman fight villains. Sure. Um, I will say I'm not crazy about Roger Moore's fight. Physicality. In this. Sure. Like, uh, I, I, you know, we've seen bad from Connery, uh, uh-huh. but like, I'm not really thrilled with any of the hand to hand combat I'm seeing in this movie. I'll go ahead and say that. I think a lot of, you know, we've talked about the lines you can draw from Austin powers or from bond Austin powers. And I think, you'll find that a lot of Roger Moore's fight choreography is very much from the school of judo chop. <laughs> right. Um, it's yeah, it's, it's quick. It's, it's not necessarily, I, I think he does get a very good hand to hand fight in, in this movie much later, but uh, it's, he definitely doesn't throw a punch like Lazenby or Connery does. Um, right. But we do get this great introduction to, uh, to Harry Strutter um who uh shows up to pull a gun on bond and tell him like everybody knows that you're not supposed to be here like they've been tailing you since you were at the yeah at the airport um this is lon satin as as uh as harry strutter i i just really like this character i wish there was more of him in the movie well i didn't really put a whole lot of thought into his character because Uh you don't really see him too many more times right uh it's it's good that he gets bond out of the situation we find out he works for for felix and the cia in a um, in a very fun bit where he's got a two way radio hidden in the cigarette lighter and Bond calls it a, a genuine Felix lighter, illuminating. <laughs> yeah, very illuminating. Another gadget. Like I said, there's gadgets yeah, all over this. Gadgets movie. out the ass. Just because Bond doesn't have all of them. <laughs> right. <laughs> we are finally introduced to Baron Samity, the man who cannot die. 
I like this uh, whole dance sequence where it's, I mean, it just, it's good. It's a weird introduction to the character, yeah. but I, yeah. I, Cause I, you're sort of like, well, what, who, who is this? What's right. his deal? Right. And, uh, but it, it's a, it's a good introduction. I think Jeffrey Holder rules, uh, Jeffrey Holder also, uh, well known for directing a ton of Broadway shows, uh, including the, he was the original director for the Wiz. I uh, also did, uh, won a Tony award for best costume design, best direction of a musical in the seven in se- 1975 um kind of a genius and you can tell that he's 100 behind the choreography in this movie but for me i wanted to know what you think about this sequence because i i've never really given it much thought until like the last couple of rewatches and maybe it's because we're watching these in order and normally this is this is one of the movies i throw on when i'm like i've seen this a thousand times i don't really want to think about it right the hotel clerk tells him mrs bond has been expecting you uh-huh. and he has a moment of like mrs bond uh-huh and do you feel like that's him thinking about Tracy or is it just sort of like confusion? I like to think that he's just like, how dare they? <laughs> like, the, the romantic in me would like to think that uh-huh. he thinks of it that way. However, I think the way Roger Moore plays it, it just seems like, oh, someone's waiting for me. Someone's lying. Room. An incurable romantic, Mrs. Bond. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And, and probably the movie is still just like, well, we don't want to at this point reference the other movie without Sean Connery. Right. I that think I, I think if that was something like a line they dropped in the Daniel Craig movies, Craig could play it that way. Ooh, yeah. But I, I don't think Roger Moore leads you to believe that he's That'd thinking about Tracy at all. <laughs> there is. um, Well, uh, you know, never mind. I don't want to spoil it. There's a there's there's a couple of pretty fantastic references later on in the series that. OK kind of tells you that they softened on uh on her majesties eventually but uh yeah I, I i buy that i buy that that's just more of a like a oh something's afoot and and we know because he goes back to his room we get a classic bond checking for bugs sequence uh-huh. uh orders <laughs> more, a bottle more fucking gadgets with a oh, hairbrush yeah. with a radio thing and yeah <laughs> and uh and he orders uh two glasses and a bottle of bollinger and we get another killer snake which Dude. one takes care of in a pretty great way. <laughs> I didn't think I didn't see this coming. I don't know why I didn't see it coming because it's pretty yeah. obvious where it was going. But uh, whenever he turned around and flame <laughs> flame that snake, I about lost shit. it, man. I was laughing so yeah. hard. And yeah. then uh, after that, we get our introduction to Rosie. Mrs. Bond, I presume. I'm Rosie Carver. Rosie and Rosie. Rosie's kind of embarrassing and it's a, it, and I, I cannot figure out because we learn later she's a double agent, right? Uh-huh. Like she's working for Kananga, but is her, is her whole vibe? Is, it, does, uh, does that mean that she's putting on an act when she's pretending to be a bumbling person? Because there's other times where she sort of bumbles about and it doesn't seem like it would serve her purposes. Right. Like, right. Like and thinking quarrel is going to hurt Bond doesn't really matter uh, right. to, to what Kanango wants. Like, it just seems like she's there to lure him to where Baines was killed and then get rid of him the same way. Right. Uh, and if that's the case, she has all these other opportunities to kill him. Exactly. And, you know, it's this is we, we've talked about how I, I was kind of lukewarm on Tiffany Case because she seemed like the smartest woman in the world for one right. minute and then the dumbest person in the world the next. You just killed James Bond. Rosie um, never seems like she's on the ball, though, which no. is like why it's so confusing that she's a double agent. 
Yeah, I mean, it, you even get that the line from Yafet Kato later when he's talking about Rosie knows what. Rosie's been more efficient than I anticipated. And there's never a moment for what, and, and I hate that I'm saying it, but like, mm. there's never a moment with Rosie where I feel like she's got control of the situation. No, I agree. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's a bummer. Even when, even when the heel turn is revealed, I'm still just like, well, like, what's your game, right? Yeah. And I think that I, I think this is one case where the character is just very thinly written. Um, I think Gloria Hendry's really good. Uh, she's just given almost nothing to do, and the 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 bits she's given don't lend themselves to what the character is. Right. 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 Her. I mean, she's in the movie very briefly, yeah. and her her whole turn in the movie just seems like why was it even there? Like, but it's not even really a turn so much as it's James just tells us what the deal is. Yeah. And if she's, I mean, if she is working for Kananga, uh -huh. she should, like, I feel like she should be a lot more present of, like, how he can handle situations. Right. And she seems so lost on that island. Well, and it, and it, it almost seems like it's a, it's a more interesting choice, right, to have her play dumb. Oh, I should have never gotten into any of this. I'm going to be completely useless to you. Right? Like, to, right. to make it more obvious that she's pretending to not know what she's doing. Um, or, or to have her like be nervous and green, but still very good at her job. Cause then you run into like something like Paloma and no time to die. I know I've done three weeks training. Who is a character that I just want a whole movie of. Yes. Um, uh, <laughs> like, or, you know, and I, I just feel like we're kind of there. She's Rosie Carver's neither fish nor fowl here. So I just kind of, she's just kind of a character who is here for a little bit to get killed. Yeah. And it's it's sad because whenever they do introduce her, I was like, OK, here's here's going to be one of our strong female characters that we're going to follow. Yeah. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll have another, you know, since we've got Guy Hamilton back, maybe we've got another pussy galore in this sure. you know, in this character. But her, there's never there's never a moment where I feel like she has anything over Bond or, right. you know, like the, 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 there's and it's sad because, you know, again, we've got another character here portrayed by a black actress mm -hmm. that takes a turn for the bad the the first the first uh black woman to play a uh a, a romantic character in a bond movie as well felix told me there'll be moments like this rosie both deserved better and probably doesn't need to be in the movie at the same time like if you're not going to really do anything with this character although right. she does lead to some of my favorite jokes in the movie like when she when she runs into the room with the snake in it Oh, a snake. I forgot I should have told you you should never go in there without a mongoose. Then she sees Samity's calling card, this bloody hat with a feather on top. And he says, it's just a hat, darling, belonging to a small-headed man of limited means who lost a fight with a chicken. <laughs> Which That's, is an insane line. Insane line, but delivered in a way by Moore that just seems like it would be something he would say on an everyday basis. Yeah. You know? it, yes. It's and, weird. This is the first time that this James is properly gross, right? Like she says, like, I don't want you to like, he's trying to sleep with her. She says no, goes to her room. Now she's scared. It says don't leave him alone. Don't leave her alone. Yeah. And he's like, well, of course, like <laughs> it, it. this feels like more like something Connery's bond would do. But I, I Roger Moore is also kind of a creep. His character is. at least. <laughs> um, well, uh, you know, this is where I'll kind of touch on some things that I remember yeah. from a view to a kill. Uh -huh. And then I'm already seeing in the, my, my first Roger Moore Bond movie uh -huh. is this, you know, character that will introduce as 
sort of a love interest sort of thing for Bond, but we know she's a double agent. Yes. You know, I remember that being the thing with Grace Jones' character in A View to a Kill. Uh-huh. Well, and that was sort of the thing when Roald Dahl was writing You Only Live Twice. He said, like, I was I was instructed that there had to be three girls. There's a femme fatale, right. there's the love interest, there's the girl who dies, yep. right? Yep. Um, and it's like, that was, he's like, that's how blunt they made it. As much new stuff as we're trying here, there's still familiar tropes that are starting to feel a little creaky already, yeah. right? Yeah. What also makes me laugh is that because they adapted these out of order, Live and Let Die is the novel where Quarrel is introduced. Now, uh-huh. Quarrel's already died in Dr. No, necessitating yep. the introduction of Quarrel Jr. in this movie. <laughs> Rosie Carver, meet the man who shares my hairbrush. Quarrel Jr. Yeah, Roy Stewart as as Quarrel Jr., who's um, who I recognize from appearances and stuff like Space 1999 and a couple of classic Doctor Who serials like Tomb of the Cyberman. Um, <laughs> but like, I think he's really fun in this. I wish he was in a little bit more of it. It is interesting to me that he'd be like, yeah, I'll help you out, even though my dad was killed by a dragon tank when he hung out with you. (laughs) Um, Bond tips his hand. He reveals, look, uh, I got this tarot card from Solitaire. It tipped me off that you're duplicitous, you're lying, you're a double agent. And she says, you wouldn't kill me, not after what we've just done, Rosie does. And he says, well, I wouldn't kill you before, which is a really fucking gross and weird line. He pulls a gun on her. And in a moment that I have to send to you, uh, which was pointed out on the James Bonding podcast years ago. Make your choice. You know what, dude? I noticed that. <laughs> I absolutely yep, <laughs> noticed that. I was like, that was weird. It's super weird. I can't. Um, I, do you think it's on purpose? It has to be, dude. There's no way it's not on Make purpose. Make a choice. Yeah. <laughs> it, was the, it was one of the weirdest things I'd ever yeah. heard, dude. I'm so glad you brought that up. I mean, imagine Darth Vader walking in and just being like, I'm Darth Vader. Here I come. <laughs> <laughs> like, it'd be insane. No, you, no movie would do that. I'd love the the scene immediately following this with the scarecrows like turning yeah. their heads and shooting her like it's it's scary it's i mean does stuff. this ca- does this count as another gadget voodoo head guns Vo- voodoo guns yeah i think so <laughs> we finally get to see solitaire in her uh home uh furnishings right <laughs> so let me just say yeah. Do you, do you think this is where they got some ideas for Queen Amidala's headdresses? I have that note. I said, <laughs> cut to solitaire dress like Queen Amidala. She is in her dope feathered tarot room where she has a, a, a desk that clasps around her. The production design in this area is so cool. Yeah, I wasn't expecting that at all. She's like, I'm just seeing her at this table with this exotic fucking headdress. Yeah. But when that table opens and she steps out of it, I was like, whoa. So fucking cool, right? <laughs> oh, that's literally her thinking cap. <laughs> Kananga reveals that Solitaire's mother also had the gift of future sight. Right. And he said, when she lost her power, I had no more use for her. Uh-huh. Um, and he basically tells her, like, I will decide when you lose your power, which is a very scary bit of dialogue on a second watch. Yeah. Because as we learn, Solitaire's family has this power that is tied to 
virginity somehow like it's she like a loss of innocence means she loses the power of future sight so kananga basically saying like i get to decide when that happens to you is terrifying um and like really reveals how despicable this character is um and luckily that whole bit of tension is broken by one of the coolest fucking things i've ever seen which is roger moore smoking a cigar while parasailing at night that cigar is a foot long dude it is so big it's like that one guy in batman 89 who does like the you crazy yeah (laughs) (laughs) uh that i could like with him on that hang glider and that cigar sticking out it was hilarious dude bonkers but my favorite my favorite thing about the hang glider scene is when he actually flies over into the island and which is also really weird that they keep solitaire on this island in this big palace. Solitaire has her own palace. Like they say it's her house. Yeah. They're like the, the Kananga's witch lady's house, I think is what they say. But when he lands up there and kicks that motherfucker off a cliff. Well, he kicks that motherfucker off a cliff. But when he steps out from behind the, the wing and he <laughs> takes off that thing in the suits underneath, yeah. that is the best shit I have ever it's seen. It's so dude. cool. He's got. He's got like a tactical cravat. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, when he did that shit, I was like, look at this sexy motherfucker. It's so rad, right? And then he's got that that sick ass like tan suit underneath and Solitaire walks in and he's looking through her cards and he has bought enough decks that he's created a deck that's all lover cards yeah i was like this dirty bastard with these tarot cards it's pretty fucked up i mean yeah. like he he basically is just like it's we're fated to be together and i i i do love the george martin goes for a horn heavy version of the theme here yeah uh right. there's a couple of really great iterations of the theme there's like a really cool like sexy slow jam version of it later on <laughs> that's just sort of like like <laughs> they sleep together and she's scared like that she's lost her powers and he promises he'll keep her safe um but if we die we're gonna die together because like i'm not leaving your side uh it's a it's a it's a weird dynamic right right, right. Um, and i will say also this is where I realized that that was Jane Seymour. Really? This scene? Yeah. Like, I, I was wondering when I would see her, and it finally mm-hmm. dawned on me. And that's when I texted you. I was like, I literally just realized that this is Jane Seymour. That's so funny. Well, I mean, she looks like she's 18, dude. Like, she's really she's, young. She's like 22, 23 or something like that. Their relationship kind of begins based on, as he quite literally says, I stacked the deck against you. Uh-huh. But she she tells him, like, no, I, I wanted to do that. That right. was just like an excuse, essentially. Yeah. Um, but from here, his whole thing seems to be like, OK, now that we've slept together, I will keep you safe as long as you give me information. Yeah. And it's a it's a oh, it's a weird mercenary thing. And I it feels genuine when it, this is another thing when you're changing actors i believe that connery's bond would do this because we've seen him do this with you know tatiana and these other characters roger moore doesn't feel like i don't know there's something so sincere and sweet about his bond a lot of the time that like and his and his character is so silly and quip heavy that it just doesn't it doesn't sit right to me when he does these kind of mercenary things like this you know right absolutely there's no sense in going off half-cocked. 
I mean, this one, this whole relationship with he and Solitaire in this movie, like, yeah, it's it's just. It's a weird relationship to have in this movie. We've got Bond, who we know is a very well-seasoned uh, person uh-huh. in that regard. Well, and also you've got Roger Moore, who at 45 years old is the oldest man to be like to pl- in his first Bond film. Right. right. 12 so, years older than Connery when Connery started. It's a it's a weird plot point, And it just makes the entire relationship between he and Solitaire and this just weird for me. Yeah. Well, especially because after this, most of her lines are just reactionary. Yeah. We don't get a whole lot of her interior life unless the only time we really talk about what Solitaire wants for the rest of the film is when she's like, James, come to bed. Yeah. We just need to be somewhere where there's a bed. Lesson number three. Like, oh, sure. She turns into a little bit of a sex fiend after she's getting some bondy. Yeah, it's a it's a weird (laughs) choice. But there's also a really weird scene with her when mm-hmm. they're 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 leaving the island. They and you know, and this is where we we find the poppy plants. We figure out it's all about heroin. I love this jungle set with the wildflowers all around the poppies. Yeah, uh, we get Baron Samity playing a walkie-talkie flute. They're heading for the hill. That great shot of the scarecrow's head turning all the way around to uh-huh. watch them pass by, and and then yeah, we get a classic helicopter strafing overhead bond action sequence and i was a little confused by this because they're you know he's taking solitaire with him he's getting her out of the situation but then when they get to the the airport she reacts in a way yeah like she reacts in a way like oh i was never on your side i think she's one trying to cover his escape and two save her own skin because she knows if Kananga thinks for a second that she was betraying him, she's dead before she leaves that airport. Right. Right. Dead or worse. You know, um, that makes and, sense. That makes sense. Well, and we learned that that's how Kananga operates because in one of my, one of the coldest lines he has in this movie, any cost, any bond must die. Yeah. I mean, he is in charge of this Island. The Island police chase bond. He steals this old tour bus, <laughs> pretty great chase in this little double decker bus. Do you think this is where they got the idea for the bus and and Harry Potter? <laughs> no, I think Harry Potter got the idea. I think J.K. Rowling ripped off Halloween Town, actually. But I um, I do think that this is where they got the idea for the double decker chase at the end of Spice World. <laughs> I have not seen that piece of film history. You well, Roger Moore is in it, so wow, you should. Okay. That, that, that should be one of our one-off specials. <laughs> is he actually James Bond in that movie? Could that be made he, a case for? He plays the head of the record label who sits in a in a room stroking a white cat <laughs> and delivering cryptic riddles. Remember, the drummer who is without sticks has no backbeat. I think we can find a way to tie this to Bond, Nathan. That movie... I love I I don't I mean I haven't watched it in years but it's it's a it was a fave of mine as a kid I feel like I'd still have a good time with Spice World now uh (laughs) so let's bookmark that one uh maybe we can get Jenny Lou on for that one (laughs) we'll we'll see I'll ask (laughs) Uh um but yeah I, I I love this chase I love the the top half of it ripping off under yes. the bridge and the cop car getting stuck in it. Very Terminator 2 moment. Yes. <laughs> and that's clearly actually Jane Seymour hanging out the window as it like makes that fucking needlepoint turn. Yeah, uh he he wants to head to New Orleans to investigate Hamilton's death and when he gets there, 
he also insinuates that he's baiting them with solitaire, right? Like he tells Quarrel, like, I have what they want. I have who like this this precious cargo on board. Right. And we're reintroduced to the cab driver from Harlem. Oh, no. They sure beat the hell out of Harlem, don't it? <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Big wants to talk to you. Um, and then yeah, right in like we mentioned this earlier, right into another lengthy chase sequence at the airport. This shit I think is so funny though. I just rewatched Tenet for the second time. Uh-huh. Oh, um, and, and Nolan is <laughs> Nolan wants so badly to make a Bond movie. Dude, like Tenet is basically his Bond movie, but when I sure. saw this shit, I was like, because in Tenet, if you have not seen it, they uh-huh. have this whole heist that they're pulling off that requires crashing a plane into uh-huh. a, a a bay. And uh I got so much of like Christopher Nolan was just taking shit from Live and Let Die here, crashing planes left and right. (laughs) Christopher Nolan borrows so much from Guy Hamilton Bond, especially. But um, yeah, I I, (laughs) you're right. Uh, It is it is. I didn't even think about Tenet when I was watching this, but that's that's so accurate. And it seems I, like the chases in this movie, Guy Hamilton was just like, listen, I need money to buy a lot of things that I can crash and blow up. Uh-huh. Oh, my God. I mean, the, the there's a great stunt with a car flipping into a, the wing of a plane. Yeah. Uh, Bond essentially kidnapping this old lady for a fl- who's there for a flight lesson, which is really funny. <laughs> Mrs. Bell. <laughs> the look that she gives him when he opens the door. <laughs> Good morning, you're... Uh... Mrs. Bell, you're not my instructor. Where's Mr. Bleeker? <sighs> Indisposed. Uh, and, then, I... and then when... <laughs> I don't remember what happens, but there's a point where she something happens and she goes, holy shit! <laughs> it's when they're going... It's when they're closing the doors and they get up close to it. Yeah. It's, it's like that moment in Star Trek Generations when Data goes, oh shit. <laughs> um, it makes me laugh every time. It's so fun. And he just pulls up outside where the head of the airport is like on the phone smash cut to again felix cleaning up after bond shit talking to mr bleaker on the phone how is mrs intensive care but she'll pull through yes sir oh no sir no one's questioning your patriotism i'm sure you're a veteran sir there's not a lot of subtlety in this film i don't think that's a controversial statement but i love uh, we cut back to Strucker watching the Filet of Soul in New Orleans. Uh-huh. When another jazz funeral starts, the the same assassin walks up to him. This, I will say, is a moment of genius in this movie. Yeah. yeah. Because, you know. There's they, no dialogue. He just kind of smiles, none. looks over at him. That's what I love is like, yeah. they, they've already established what this shit is right here. And they You're trust not, the audience to know. Yeah. You're not going to see this guy again. You know. Yeah. I loved that about it's this. It's so good. Uh, and, and it's it's something that you don't really get in even the newer Bond movies. Like there is a sequence. I know I'm jumping way ahead to No Time to Die. You've seen it at this point, but there's yep. a sequence at, in No Time to Die when a character might like basically looks at the camera and goes, the virus is working the way I programmed it to. It's killing all of these people and not this person. Like he literally <laughs> says it for the audience. I'm like, I fucking get I'm watching the movie. Right. I don't right. <laughs> No, um, I, I think we need more subtlety like that in things like it's there, so good. That's unfortunately, and you know, we we constantly talk about Nolan here and on the VHS files, uh-huh. and it sounds like I'm always shitting on Christopher Nolan. I fucking right, love same. Christopher Nolan movies. He, his stuff tends to be complex, so therefore, almost all of his dialogue is exposition. Yeah. 
where sometimes I'm like, just, you know, and that's, that's kind of why I love the end of Inception, because that's at least going, think what you, you know, believe whatever you want at the end of this movie. He's not having to explain what happened to you. That's yeah. unfortunately the problems that I find with Nolan now is how much he has to explain everything to you. I, I was actually having this conversation recently, and I think a lot of that comes down to Jonathan Nolan, because uh, I I think I think sometimes he he as a screenwriter mistakes complexity for quality. Like right. if there's enough layers to this, it means it's it's better. Right. Um, which is why Westworld goes so far off the rails. That's exactly it's, what I was about to say. That's probably why we're not going to get any more Westworld. Right. You know, like. It's just gotten to a point where it's like, okay, I don't understand what the fuck is happening. Yeah. You like, uh, you can introduce Catwoman to me and I'll just believe she's a thief. You don't have to tell right. me that also there's a software that can delete someone's criminal record. Like, we don't have to add, you know, five more subplots. And we run into that with these Bond movies sometimes, right? Yeah. Like, just wait until we get into the Timothy Dalton era where I'm like... I love this movie, but there's like eight villains. <laughs> um, I don't know what he wants. Um, but yeah, that this is this is one of my favorite scenes in the movie because you're like you like you said, it's very subtle. Um, we see the assassin approach him. We see them exchange a nice little look and then we cut to the horn player and everyone's celebrating. So yep. we know a death has occurred. Hell of a send off. And then we're and back in the we're back in the uh, we're back the in the club. Soul. But I mean, we get in there and we, we've got the reference to the joke, had a nasty turn in a booth. <laughs> I love the oh, whole yeah, thing where joke. he wants yeah. to sit by the stage. But little does he know, there's also a trap door there waiting for him. That shit was hilarious. I it's laughed hilarious, so hard. And it's so weird that like the implication here is that even regular citizens are just in on what Kananga does. Right. Like no one reacts to a man disappearing into the floor. <laughs> <laughs> but I do. I, I don't want to shy, shy away from the performance of uh, "Live and Let Die" here. I think this is a great performance of this. It's so good, and yeah. uh, it's on the soundtrack. Unfortunately, the soundtrack is not streaming on Spotify, but like it's worth a purchase. Like it's one of my favorite favorite Bond soundtracks, like uh, of all of them. Right. Um, and this, yeah, this performance is a banger, um, and it leads into the reveal of Mister Big. Uh, ripping his makeup off in a pretty great moment and his plan sell heroin for money my apologies i'm sure you simply give it away excellent mr park and then once everyone is hooked and he's driven every other dealer out of business he will be the only supplier yeah and he'll this... have a monopoly over the drug trade in america which is terrifying like what an awful horrifying plan like i hinted at earlier i mean with this being from guy hamilton goldfinger same sort of story it sure. wasn't it was not until this whole plan was revealed that i was like wow okay i thought it was just going to be about the heroin trade no it's going to be about something bigger than that it's going to be yeah. you know and i love the way um Yafet Kodo just sits there and he's just taking the makeup off as he's you know and he's I, smiling I love he's so soft spoken yeah, like, he he never he never feels like he thinks that Bond has got one over on him. No, no, because Bond will be Bond will say something and he's like, what? No. Yeah. He's like, I'm not I'm not trying to make a profit yet. <laughs> right. I'm giving it away for free. 
Um, I also wanted to take a moment here to talk about Teehee. We haven't really talked about him much. Right. Yes. Teehee is a scary motherfucker, man. He sure fucking is. And yes. oh my God, that smile that he has throughout every scene of this movie. Yeah. And just, you know, you add the hook for a hand. That's one thing. But yeah, the fact that every time we cut to him, he's got that grin on his face. Smile. Yeah. And like there was a moment there and it, I think it's in this scene where he's, he's just standing there smiling. And yeah. I was like, this is the scariest fucking dude I've seen in a bond movie in a while. He's so good. Even, even in the shots where you can tell that he's just holding a hook, like yeah. captain hook style, like inside his shirt. Uh, the, yeah. T played by Julius Harris uh, uh, from movies like Superfly, black Caesar uh, taking a Pelham one, two, three. I mean, this guy He's awesome. Like anytime he shows up, he fucking means business. Uh, and Tihi is, yeah, he's he's physically imposing. But you're right; it's the it's how happy he is about what he's doing. Yeah, that like truly makes him scary. Um, and uh, he, I mean, he he's this is the whole scene. Like, uh, Kananga tells Bond, if you if I if Solitaire can't use her powers, if you have taken her powers away. Uh, he, first he's going to take a finger, then he's uh -huh. going to take something much more precious. The way he plays it where it's like, okay, I know she just lied to me. I'm going to let this slide. But he does. I'm, yes, like, that's interesting, right? It's, yeah, it's really cold. And he tells Solitaire, he's like, I know you lied to me. Yeah. So you're useless to me now. Yeah. You know, and it's... It, this dude's this dude's pretty fucking cold. Yeah, I mean it's uh, it's a scary scene, and it ends with him telling Teehee and Whisper to take Bond to the farm. <laughs> so we get this shot of a sign that says "Trespassers will be eaten," and we are introduced to the alligator farm owned by Ross Kananga, who the villain was named after, and who <laughs> does some truly insane stunts in this sequence. Yes, because that is Kananga running over the alligators. And I want to say we've we've gone to so many locations in this movie. Uh, yeah. This movie has gone from New York to New Orleans to to the Caribbean to Back all these to the bayou, like all over the place. Now we're at a fucking alligator farm. Yeah. And we're not even done with the movie yet. Folks. We're still we've still got like 45 <laughs> minutes left of the movie. Um but I do. I, I love this whole sequence. Teehee just giving him like a lesson on alligators and the yeah. difference between alligators and crocs. The shot of that bridge pulling back while Teehee just kind of smiles yeah. is so good. Um, but yeah, I, Ross Kananga, uh, well, slash James Bond runs over a pack of alligators to get to this uh, other to get to the other side. And um, there there is footage out there of Kananga falling like it took like nine takes yeah um a couple of times he fell into the water and got nipped at he had to have like over a hundred stitches because he got like his leg like torn up oh man it's it's insane um but and you, the, you know and even though i haven't seen this movie you've heard about this stunt in this movie through yeah, through watching videos on the internet so or, yeah yeah and you know i didn't it didn't dawn on me that this scene was coming until they said let's go to the farm like i didn't uh -huh. even it didn't even dawn on me that that's what was going to happen in this movie um yeah. but i will say for me expecting it to be really super cheesy 
I think the scene plays very suspenseful. It's and good. I, and I actually really kind of like it when he runs over the alligators. Oh, it's fun. Yeah. No, it's it's well, one, it's 100 percent what Adam West's Batman would have done. Right. But it is <laughs> up to and including throwing chicken into a meth lab or into a heroin lab so that he can blow it up with, right. with all the crocs inside. It's a really inventive sequence, and I love all the shots of them, you know, making their way up onto the onto the uh, sandbar and uh-huh. him sort of on his back heels, not really sure where to go. He tries to use his magnet to bring that boat over, but it's tied to the post. It's it's all good stuff, and it leads into the the quarter of the movie that is Smokey and the Bandit <laughs> slash Cannonball Run. So I will say right here, after all of this, all of the stuff with the alligators goes down at the farm, and we start our Smokey and the Bandit sequence here. Yeah. Je- Jenny goes, she looks over at me and she goes, this is a weird fucking movie. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And so I was like, it, it, it made me laugh really hard, but I was like, okay, well, because I had I already I had already watched it once, and this was our <laughs> this was my oh, second yeah, viewing okay. with her. So sure. I was like, okay, well, we're about to start this sequence here with the boat chase. I said, uh-huh. there's gonna be a moment where you're gonna look at me and go, is this really still happening? Uh huh. Because this fucking boat chase goes on forever it's really long it's it, so uh, long dude it's so long it's really impressive they won a guinness world record for the <laughs> for the jump across the bayou like accidentally we did hold the world record for boat jumps and i think that particular day jerry jumped 115 feet this is like another genre we're introducing here it is uh it's a truly bizarre turn of events especially if you're not expecting it and and most particularly because it introduces J.W. fucking Pepper. <laughs> by the powers invested in me by this parish, I hereby do commandeer this vehicle and all those persons within. Who who is our Jackie Gleason of this movie? Boy, howdy, he wishes. That's a big ten four. This is Sheriff Dupatee Justice of Texas. So it starts off with a cold as hell line because the guy on the dispatch, the henchman yells, uh, the agent escaped, the man who gets him stays alive, which yeah. is cold as hell. Right. But like, then we cut to this motherfucker going, Toby, I got me a regular <laughs> Ben Hur down here doing 95 minimum. Like he sounds like that, like the 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 hound dog from fucking the Aristocat. Yeah. Like. <laughs> <laughs> and and the fact that he's got this honking thing, a dip in his in his lip the Ugh. entire time, and it never like it never falls out. It's always there. And it but, takes him forty five minutes to say any line of dialogue. No, you listen to me, trooper boy. We got a swamp full of black Russians driving boats to beat the dam down here. I'm going to commandeer this here vehicle from you. Like, (laughs) that means you, jackass. You smart ass. Well, I will say Smokey and the Bandit was a movie that was on quite a lot in my house when I was a a youngster. Sure. And that was the first thing that came to mind. I just started thinking of of Sheriff Buford T. Justice, you some bitch. I thought J.W. Pepper was so fucking funny when I was a kid. What did you get that chicken coop off the road? Now I'm just like, what? What am I? What was I thinking? Um, 
what's even funnier is so this actor Clifton James he's also in Superman 2 he's the <laughs> sheriff when Zod and the other Kryptonians land in that little town and he's essentially playing J.W. Pepper again hey you hippies get your butts off the road not only is he like is, is this an annoying uh, character but I really don't love him constantly calling people boy you got a set of wheels you just won't quit boy it's real uncomfortable right um it's cut slightly by the fact that he then later calls that chicken coop driver uh the same thing but it's it is it's just we're in the south yeah and you're saying like in the 70s like it's just (laughs) come on man (laughs) uh and maybe that's the intention maybe we're meant to be like oh fuck this guy in particular but it is so strange that like not only do we get this chase between Bond and these henchmen, but we introduce a whole town of characters. Yeah. Who are, J.W. Pepper comes out of the gate fully formed. Like, <laughs> it's almost like this movie pretends that we're crossing over with another movie. Right. About J.W. Pepper. Like, oh, yeah, everybody knows J.W. And everybody knows his cousin, Billy Bob. You call my brother-in-law Billy Bob, he got the fastest boat in the whole damn river. Billy Bob sure no fixy ass. Ah, yeah, cool, Billy Bob. Uh, like, it, it is, it's so bizarre that, like, and he's given so much real estate in this movie. It's wild. This is another thing that I kind of harken back to what I remember about A View to a Kill. There's a particular chase in A View to a Kill where he uh, there's a fire truck that's uh-huh. gone through New York or some shit. Yeah. And, at the, and at the end of it, they're like, we're going to get you, you son of a bitch. And they're going to be like, oh, no, this is James Actually, Bond. You're not going to be doing agent, anything to him. Like, yeah. Again, like, I feel like I'm going to be seeing this happen a few uh-huh. more times. <laughs> well, we get so much stuff here. Like, there's a guy on the radio asking if jw can come over and shoot mrs pearson's dog like who has rabies we there's a whole sequence where the boat shoots across the yard and into a pool i love the shot of the (laughs) the two henchmen trying to paddle their way through the pool in the boat that reminded me of the scene where the car crashes into the pool in uh, last boy scout remember that sure yeah yeah that reminded me of that yeah, and, and uh, like Bond steals another boat, goes through a barricade, smashes through a wedding. There's some extras in there that aren't sure what they're supposed to be feeling at the time. Uh, <laughs> the cops get held up by a chicken coop. The boats cross the highway and go into the water on the other side. Yeah, like there are more boats on land in this chase. Almost <laughs> like it's 50 50 yeah. land, 50 50 water. Yes. It is fucking crazy but and, there was and i will say uh-huh. there was a moment where jenny looked at me and goes is, is this still really going? still happening yeah like it goes on forever dude it's crazy and dude i'm telling you i i mean i'm it's been a minute since i've watched it but like there is a later movie where i think there might be a longer boat chase i'm wow. not sure but this is it is truly inexplicable uh but i mean bond eventually gets the best of this henchman he blinds him knocks his boat into this trawler that explodes in a, in a pretty great stunt and in one of my favorite shots in the movie bond just slowly pulls up to the dock kind of 
waving at Felix, and Felix is so fucking mad. He's like, yeah, I had so much shit to clean up now. Like, he's becoming the M. Like, Felix is just basically the M in uh-huh. America. Like, M and he's got M in Britain, and then M in, in, in America. That's Felix Absolutely. And, and it, what, JW's best moment, actually, is when he gets out of his fucked up cruiser, and he goes, what are you some kind of doomsday machine <laughs> and he's told that no actually this this fellow's an englishman he's coming over to help us he's a s- secret agent <laughs> on whose side <laughs> it's so dumb but man it does get us a couple of good moments i mean it goes on for so long dude and then like the, and then it ends and i i swear dude it's like this this whole chase seems like it should have been in a different movie well, it was. It was. It was intended for diamonds are forever, and then we got the the buggy, the 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 dune buggy chase instead. Wow. It, no, it was, it, we have Guy Hamilton to think. He's like, I want to spend a little more time in New Orleans, yeah, drinking and listening to jazz. Let's make the boat race a little bit uh, longer. Though. Let's make the boat chase a little bit longer. Guy Hamilton loves a chase. He loves a chase. Now we're like, okay, uh, now that that's over, let's get back to the plot of the movie. Uh, Felix is like, yeah, we've already set bombs in the poppy fields. Don't worry. You don't have to see that. We had to have a chase sequence for 18 minutes. Right, uh, right. He sends Quarrel and Bond into the island. Quarrel gives Bond special rounds for his shark gun in case shark the uh, sharks that co- come back. Comes out of nowhere. Like, yeah. Like, this is normally where I want my Q. You're scene. going to need like, these and the shark uh, gun on the way back. giving me the shark gun. We do get a great line from Quarrel, though. Seems like says, the party uh, started. My regards to Baron Samadhi, man. Right between the eyes. This Roger Moore looks so fucking good in, in this, like, in this last scene. But my note is, is, like, Bond comes out all dirty hairy. He's got the fucking, he's got that Smith & Wesson, dude. He does, but he's also got the tactile neck. Like, yeah. this is where Archer got it from, is specifically this outfit. <laughs> I mean, I didn't invent the turtleneck, Lana, but I was the first to recognize its potential as a tactical garment. Uh, the tactical turtleneck, Lana. Archer. The Tactile neck. Bond goes to rescue Solitaire from this voodoo ceremony. And in the craziest shot of the movie, Baron Samity rises from the grave and Bond shoots his fucking head off. It's really good. It's a really good effect. Yeah, it's it's like I, I was surprised when it happened. His this eyes is... roll around as like one part of him is gone. And then yeah. Bond shoots him again and he like shatters. Yeah. And this is, again, another scene that had me going, oh, Temple of Doom all the way, man. Totally. This is, you know, all of the all of the makings of Temple of Doom are right here in this yeah. scene. Um, he, but also, like, are we to believe that this guy is really, like, the voodoo god? Like, that, is he a priest with magic powers? That was a question I, I wanted to bring up. Because uh-huh. you've got Solitaire reading the tarot cards the yeah. entire movie. Like, is this is this the Bond movie where they introduced like uh, supernatural supernatural stuff? stuff? It sure yeah. seems like it, right? Right. Because I I, I, I I don't know that the series really ever goes back to that, but this is the one that's just like, yeah, this shit's real. <laughs> <laughs> because he he kill he explodes Baron Samity, and then Baron Samity rises again and starts cackling, even yeah. as the poppy fields are blowing up around them. It's a it's a really good sequence. Um, and I wish this sword fight went a lot, went a little bit longer. Yeah. Cut I mean, some of the, cut some of the boat chase. He's so camp. Like he's so, yeah. and he's so like just elevated. Everything he does is so theatrical. And I, 
I think this character is fascinating, even though I don't really understand what his deal is in the right, context like, of the movie. Uh, another character that doesn't really need to be here, but honestly, the movie's better for him being there. Yeah, if he wasn't in it, I would miss it. Like, uh, yeah, it's crazy. I wish it, it almost to me. I'm like, if this guy can't die. Kananga should be working for him. He seems like a much bigger deal to me. Right. Like that was kind of where I was thinking the plot would have gone was Baron Samity is like the all the strings. Yeah, yeah. He's Mr. Big. Yeah. But no, they don't go that way with it. No. Instead, he's he's slashed with this sword, falls into a coffin full of snakes and stops moving. It's a, it's a pretty good. Apparently, the snakes were a real problem on set, too. Yes. Oh, yeah. Jane Seymour almost got bit. Yep. Uh, a production assistant. Like, when an actor passed out when a snake got put in his face. Yep. Um, the I think the director of photography or somebody, like, refused to be on set when they were there. Right. It was like, tough. It would have been a, a bad set for me to be on. I'll tell you that. A hundred percent. Yeah. Fuck. We come a long way from just putting a glass sheet on top of Sean Connery and letting a snake run around. Look, I mean, I'm a little surprised that we get another cave uh, lair, right? Like right. this series of tunnels underneath the island. Uh, but Kananga is so chill. Ah, Mr. Bond, there you are. And the solitaire as well. But this whole thing, he's like, I'm really not worried. I'm insured. Yeah. Like, I'm going to, my my operation will survive this. He's like, tell, tell me about this gun you got. It's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> and dude, when he shoots that, when he shoots, when the, couch shoots the couch and sends Whisper on the back side of it, so that funny. shit is hilarious. Because obviously that's some foreshadowing they're giving uh -huh. you. But it did not hit me as to where that was going to end up. How end could it? How in the world <laughs> could it, Josh? I mean. <laughs> Ingenious. Uh, we get another cold line from him that like, drown, Mr. Bond. I doubt you'll get the chance to drown. Oh, yeah. I love when he cuts his arm and he's like, Perhaps we could try something in an even simpler vein. On the contrary, Mr. Bond. I think you'll find those wounds quite fatal. We've got more fucking sharks in a Bond movie. More sharks are going to lower him into this shark tank, uh, which sharks... Uh, figured very heavily into the original novel. Uh, the the original ending of the book was th this is one of the scenes I've read, like one of the few scenes I've read in a book that made me like my teeth like chatter while I was reading. Like it just, oh, it's so uncomfortable. But the Kananga's plan to dispose of them, or uh, sorry, Mr. Biggs rather, plan to dispose of them was to he tied them to the back of a speedboat. And as uh -huh. he's as he's driving along, his plan was to drag them over the coral reef and it would shred them up Ugh. and then he'd take them out into the water where the sharks would feed on them. Wow. And it culminates in Bond, I think, blowing up the boat, if I recall correctly. And then he grabs solitaire and tumbles across the reef and like gets like all torn up but he's like they're like rescued at the last second by Quarrel. Wow. but it's uh ugh, it is it's 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 really like it makes me cringe it's so violent that's <laughs> and, pretty like, crazy just the, man just the thought of it is really is it as crazy as say uh shoving a gas pellet into someone's <laughs> mouth and turning them into well well before we get to that i want to talk about when bond does get loose i mean he, he gives whisper a good kick across the room when kanega comes at him with the knife 
he has a weird little spin. He has a weird little faint. And then my favorite bit of this is when he comes up with the knife first in that wide shot, Bond is just kind of like, like yeah. he's like he's like smiling. He's like, he's what, like I don't well, give a shit. what the fuck are you doing, man? <laughs> yeah, yeah. They both take a tumble into the water. Bond shoves one of those gas pellets in his mouth and uh, roll the clip. I mean, like, <laughs> how do I even explain this? Kananga turns into a balloon and pops. This was very reminiscent of the guy who blows up in, in Big, uh, Big Trouble, Trouble Little China. China for yeah. Me. I don't think he's going to stop. It's fucking crazy. It's nuts, dude. I can't decide if it almost ruins the movie or makes it better. We get a fully insane one-liner here of... Where's Kananga? Well, he always did have an inflated opinion of himself. Well, I'll, I'll say this: we're we're almost done with talking about the movie, but like this, this, this death, Kananga's death, is really kind of what cemented for me. Okay, like I know what I'm gonna be getting out of these Roger Moore <laughs> movies now. Yeah, that makes like, sense. Sure, uh, and 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 that's fine. That's kind of what I signed up for. Like I'm I'm ready. Like with well, as 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 weird as as so like bizarre as this movie is yeah. i don't hate it in the least no. <laughs> like it is it is a crazy ride dude yeah no you're absolutely right like if for better or worse this is emblematic of where the more movies go they are silly they're over the top they're campy and i fully understand when it doesn't work for people yeah. and a lot of this is based in nostalgia but like i'm a sucker for Batman 66. I love right. Roger Moore's James Bond. Uh, and, I, and I think as us being fans of those things, we can yeah. kind of watch this stuff with our tongue in our cheek. Like totally. Yes. It's like, yeah, I, it, this is, this is what you get from this era of movie making and storytelling. Like, and I'll never say this is a movie as good as from Russia with love or honor Majesty's secret service. Right. But it is one of my favorite bond movies. It is, it is just, it is one of those that is so far an anomaly for me. Like <laughs> yeah. it's, there's so much quote unquote wrong with it, but mm -hmm. so much that I love that I'm willing to just kind of like, yes, look at, look past That's it. That's how I sense. am too. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it, it, it helps that we end it on a high note because, um, I mean, this is no red grant fight, but this tussle with Tihi and the train car is really good. We get another train <laughs> Bond train fight. <laughs> no, I, I, I actually completely forgot about Tihi, and I was so happy when this scene happened. Yeah, it's really uh, good. Another thing I think might end up being a trope as we move forward in these movies. One last uh, showdown. <laughs> yep. Yeah. But uh, well, it's got, you know, it's you gotta kill. What's what's Hans Gruber's main henchman? Oh, Carl. Yeah, Carl. You gotta, yeah, it's the you, Carl. You gotta effect, have the Carl. Right? Yep. Yeah. Uh, I do want to say though that. Jane Seymour in this blue nighty. It doesn't get any better than that. No. Look, without getting all male gazy, I fully agree with you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's that's all I'll say. <laughs> Jin. I think maybe this is the scene you were referring to when you said there is a good fist fight scene with Roger Moore in this yeah. movie. This is a really good one. They're like um, tearing through the walls. They're yeah. like, and it, and it is like this tiny little compartment. Yeah, uh, maybe even less room than Bond and Red Grant had. Uh, but it's it's a it's a really good fight. It and it, I think Roger Moore's Bond works best when he is outsmarting his opponents or using things against them. Like 
he can't beat Tihi in a fight, but he can sure flip that motherfucker out a window if he right. if, if he like severs <laughs> you know the controls on his his hook you know or or the the wires on his hook. I'm hesitant um, to believe that there were windows this big on a train. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> maybe, maybe not, but it's smart. It's fun. Yeah. And, and we get uh, a horror movie esque, like last little tag with Baron Samity sitting on the front of the train. I love that shot, man. Like it's and, not over. <laughs> yeah. And like, uh, I don't know. I've never seen most of these other movies, but I don't think we ever see Baron Samity again. We don't know. So, unfortunately, like, that you know that could have been something genius. They would, you know, yeah. they were, they were taking little things here and there in all the mm-hmm. the the Daniel Craig movies, and kind of paying homage to the older Bond stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, why wouldn't you bring like a character like Baron Samandy back in, like someone who's like left open ended like that? They do in the GoldenEye video game. Like, you can fight against a bunch of older villains, and then at the end of that like mode, it's revealed that Baron Samandy is still alive. Like, wow. it's a fun little it's a fun little gag. Like, it's not canon or like it doesn't really have a story. Yeah, but it's a it's a fun little it's a fun little bit for fans in the know. I actually never played GoldenEye the video game. So yeah. When oh we wow. Get, when we get to that era of Bond, uh, I won't have that nostalgia to fall back sure. on. Sure. So. We'll do some uh, some live gameplay for that episode, dude. I'm down. I'm totally <laughs> down. Uh, yeah, I, that's. I mean, that's live and let die. James Bond will return, and the man with the golden gun. That is live and let die. <laughs> Boy, howdy, is it ever? Oh man. Well, I mean, it, it is a fun ride. Like, there's plenty of stuff to not like in it, but you know, I I had a great time. Me too. And if it wasn't for that second watch, I probably would have been a little more lukewarm on this one. Sure. Yeah, because, I mean, the first one, you're just sort of like taking it all in. Like, how this is so fucking different. This is something completely new. I used to try and take notes on the first watch. And now I'm like, no, I know I'm going to watch this movie twice. So the first watch, I'm just going to watch it and take it in. And then I'll do my notes the second. I like that. Yeah, that's that's how I did it this time, too. And then. I've watched this one more than any of the other Roger Moore flicks. And right. and I still just found myself finding some new stuff this time because I'm really like analyzing it. And I will say like, yeah, it's not a perfect movie. Obviously there's things that have not aged well as we've covered in other bond movies, but there's also stuff that I like, I think the best of intentions still led to other problems in terms of stereotypes and, and weird uh, handling of certain characters. I'm sure this ain't exactly your debut with this sort of thing. But I just pound for pound. I think this is just a really fun caper, right? Like right. if you want to see Bond interacting with some wacky villains and, 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 and embroiled in a plot that's very different from anything he's done before or since, uh, Live and Let Die is kind of a singular entry in the franchise. It proves that no voodoo curse can stand up to James Bond's magic. This is the one that has a reputation for being kind of goofy. So <laughs> Keep the change. Rightfully so. Let's go ahead and talk about our favorite gal, Gadget, and Goon from Live and Let Die. Yeah. So uh, this is a new new segment we start. We're going to start doing here on the on the Roger Moore episodes. Yeah. We kind of did a recap of our Connery stuff on the last episode. You can go back and check that episode out. But uh, for this movie, all right. So we got our our top gal. I think it's pretty obvious. Reason for the season is solitaire. So, I mean, solitaire. When she shows up, it's like you you gravitate towards her the entire movie. Mm. I mean, it it helped. Yeah, Jane Seymour is just such a charismatic and fantastic actress, and like I. 
as many issues as I have with the character kind of just kind of becoming uh, a pawn in the story in the yeah. second half of it. I think her performance is very interesting. I think there's just a glow about her that really draws you in. Uh-huh. And uh, she has some truly fantastic costuming in this movie. Absolutely. And I was I was almost at the point where I was letting the relationship between uh, Solitaire and Bond in this movie yeah. push her out of that spot for me. Yeah, uh, that makes sense. And, and I, I was going to go with Miss um, Caruso from the beginning. Sure, just be- yeah. Just because she was feisty and she wanted to go one She's more fun. time with Bond, you know. Yeah. But uh, no, it, it, there's no doubt Solitaire is, is is the one in this one. The the wallpaper on my computer is Roger Moore and Jane Seymour and like a publicity still from this movie. <laughs> like I I just I truly love them together. And uh, I think that, yeah, I, there's no other choice for me, really. All right. Well, Gadget, um, there was a ton of them in this movie, man. So many more than you think there are, right? Because, yeah, like, mean, you, uh, on, at face value, you're like, well, it's the watch. and But then the watch does, like, three different things. Yeah. And then everybody else has different things. Uh, what, what did you go with? Well, I mean, there was a lot of options for me. And, yeah. and, you know, even though I saw so many and there are so many that do really cool things. Yeah. The one that I was the most impressed with is the trapdoor coffin in the jazz in the jazz funeral like it's really cool i just yeah. think that's awesome that they can take it and put it over the guy pick him up and take him away yeah like i was just like that you know there was a couple of different it's ones that i was that I was considering but that was the one that i was like nope that's my one right and there. it's done really well to the point where i can't tell if it's a cut right. or if the stuntman is like holding on to like bars in there or something like yeah. i can't it's it's really good yeah uh well, what I, about you Got to go with that walkie-talkie flute. I mean, I, I forget about it every time I watch this movie. But when he, when he's playing his little flute and he goes like, "They're on their way," it's yeah. so good. It's he he has such a smooth delivery of how he does it. It's, it's yes, so good. Like he's working his fingers up the reeds, and then he suddenly like just it's just like it's such a smooth motion. It's so good. I love it. All right, well, goon. Uh, this one was a little tough for me. It's tough. Yeah. Um, I, I, I like Baron Samity, although I don't think he has much to do in the movie. But he's the flashiest one. He's like, definitely. Yeah, d- definitely the one that's, you know, your eye is drawn to. He's got great makeup, incredible costuming. He's right. got that fantastic. That smile. Uh, just, it, yeah. Like the, the cackle and yeah. the shot where he gets his head blown off. I think he's I. I love Baron Samity, but he's not my top choice. Yeah, mine, mine either. Um, I, you know, I've I've got to go with Teehee, man. Me too. Yeah, uh, I was gonna go with Whisper because I like the idea of just a quiet henchman that will. Oh yeah, we but, didn't even talk about the scene where he's coming in. He's like, "Do you want me to open your champagne?" Yeah, <laughs> I, I love. He could have warned Kananga. Right. The Bond escapes from his bonds, and uh-huh. he, like he jumps down. He goes like, "Look out!" Like right. <laughs> It's real good. But I just, I kind of had, I was gravitating towards the quiet guy as, as, a, yeah. as a good goon, but like. He's good. That, but that second watch, man, and Teehee, I was like, God, dude, like, I'm not a fan of his name. I feel like they could have gave him a better character name. But uh, the, well, in the book, Teehee was like constantly, like he had a henchman who was constantly giggling. Uh, so okay. he was, he would like, he was like trying to get through what he was saying. Like it was almost like a tick or a compulsion. Gotcha. And then in gotcha. this one, like he just kind of, he's just kind of like the jolly one. Right. But it wasn't, you know, he right. loves his job so much. <laughs> <laughs> but it was that scene when I, I noticed him just that smile, that cold. Yeah. Like, 
he looks so jolly when you look at him, but underneath that, like he's just cold, man. And I think, I think he's great. I think he's yeah, great. Absolutely. Also, one more new segment we're going to do. Yeah. We, we kind of talked about this and we're going to go. And uh, the name of this segment is um, Liners. One Liners. Baby. We're going to talk about our favorite one liners in the movie. And, you know, you texted me like an hour before we recorded, like, hey, do you want to try this out? And I was like, yeah, yeah, that's going to be easy because 90% of the dialogue in this movie is a quip. Right. <laughs> so, I, yeah, I think there's so many to choose from. Uh, I I had to and I don't know if this really counts as a one liner so much as it's just Bond being sassy. Right. But when they get to the alligator farm and they look at the baby gators, Bond says, I don't suppose those potential overnight bags are orphans. Oh, no, we have some moms and dads as well. <laughs> Uh, to which he is like, no, that you wait till you meet mom and pop or something like that. <laughs> no, uh, Bond has some great ones. So good. This. Yes. Um, but I'm going with one from um, Kananga. On the contrary, Mr. Bond, I think you'll find those wounds quite fatal. That, that shit sent chills down my spine. I, I almost went with a Kananga line as well, because I think names are for tombstones, baby, is yeah. such a good fucking line. <laughs> At that moment, you don't know it's Kananga in the movie, right? but I, I know where you were going with that. Ah, it's very good. I will say, like, you know, before we started doing this podcast, I used to say, you know, I'd seen the Daniel Craig movies and I was like, I don't think I need to go back and watch any of the old Bond movies. Sure. I'm, f I'm fine with Craig being Bond in my life. Yeah. But I have to say, I'm having so much fun so far going back and oh. watching these. Yeah. That I'm, I'm, glad, I'm, man. I'm, I'm so glad I changed as a person and was like, no, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to watch the sure. Bond movies. Yeah. Um, you get a lot of history too, man. Like you see people like like Jane Seymour, where she started and where she's gone and from you there. See how and, you can chart the evolution of filmmaking through yeah. these movies too, right? I mean, like this you one can, this one yeah. felt like a seventies like a seventies crime caper. You know, it it, it felt very different yeah. from the sixties Bond movies. If they didn't like like we said at the top, like they don't really make a big deal out of the change in actor. So everything else around it has to be fresh and new and exciting right. and exotic and strange. And I think that they accomplished that for better or worse. But it's a uh, it is there's no other Bond movie quite like this one. All right. Well, we're going to come back next month That's with right. the man with the golden gun. That's right. I have no idea what this movie's about. Uh, but if you had to guess, what would you what would you say the man with the golden gun might be about? This is just a just a hint that I get from the title. Uh-huh. There'll be a man with a gun made uh -huh. of gold that Bond will have to fight and stop from destroying the world. We'll see. We'll see how correct you are uh when we come back next time. And I I just realized <laughs> This movie came out the next year. So like, wow. like live and let die was a smash hit. They got started on it immediately. So they like just, they fucking cut film on this one and went right into the next one, I guess. And I'll tell you, you can look for it's Guy Hamilton's fourth and final James Bond film. 
Oh, we ne- so we we will we sh- we should see some uh, good chase scenes in the next one, maybe, huh? We'll uh, maybe maybe we'll we see. will. We'll see next month. Well, until next month, you know, thank you so much for watching the videos, yes. everyone who's been watching. If anybody is watching for the first time, thank you so much for checking us out. Totally, you know, everybody, everybody's got to start somewhere. That was kind of the whole point of this podcast. So. Um, like I said, you can go to a link in the description box below where you can get a playlist of the Connery movies. You can hear us talk about those. Uh, we'll be back next month to talk The Man with the Golden Gun with Roger Moore. Yeah. Until then, Nathan. Stay shaken. Never stood. <laughs>